0: I'm going to start just by praying and asking the Lord again to bless the preaching of his word and that uh, we would open our hearts to hear what he would have us hear today. So let's pray together. Lord, uh, I love the song we just sang, the truth we just sang. It says, yet not I, but Christ through me. And uh, I just, I I submit myself to that, Father. I I want nothing more than for Christ to be exalted and for Christ to be honored in the next few moments we have together I pray that you would do what only you can do which is have your way in us God may we be open our eyes our hearts our ears our souls to what you would have us here and how you would have us look more like Jesus when we leave than when we came in I pray for power God not polish I pray that you would move in a mighty way And I I pray, God, that you would be exalted by your people in this place. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, 1 John is where we are. 1 John chapter 2. And uh, you've been in this series called Verified, which is an incredible book written by the Apostle John. And uh, I was so just excited to preach uh, the text today. Um, so, so like Pat said, I've moved to South Florida. I'm pastoring a church in South Florida. God's been so good to us. I did not expect our first year uh, to for the whole world to shut down. I did not anticipate that being my first year pastoring this church of COVID and, and everything else. But God has just been so good to us. Our church, our family, God's been good to grow our church. And our, our church is so Faithful, it's just such a blessing to be a part of that body, and and uh, but but maybe you don't know this. South Florida is not Tennessee, Uh, and uh, I was riding with my youth pastor at one point. We're going to lunch, and someone pulls out in front of him, and he just lays on the horn. And I'm like, bro, where I come from, you better be ready to fight somebody if you. Lay you on your own like that, right? Uh, and so I haven't quite adjusted to that piece of it yet. But also, one of my, in my first month there, when I realized this is not Tennessee anymore, is uh, I, I'm walking across the Chick-fil-A parking lot, and I almost get hit by this elderly lady in her car. And then I, I kind of stopped, and then she went on. I kind of walked past her, and then she rode down her window and cussed me out uh, at Chick-fil-A. I said, that does not happen in Tennessee. We don't cuss in church or Chick-fil-A. Okay. We don't want to taint the Christian chicken. All right. Uh, if you do cuss in Chick-fil-A, it's got to be in the playground area. Okay. It's like the cussing (laughs) section, uh, uh, like the smoking section, right? It doesn't even have to be your own kids. You just go in there and cuss the kids or whatever. It's great uh but so and it's not it's not uh, Tennessee it's not the you know the Bible belt's kind of deteriorating here but uh there is still some Christian semblance in this area but one thing that is kind of striking South Florida Tennessee uh, the world uh is uh this spiritual deception I mean there are people walking in spiritual deception no matter where you live if you're watching online, I know Pat mentioned some from California. There's spiritual deception all over, and people are walking into it in droves. There are people walking away from the truth of Orthodox Christianity and following false doctrines of so-called Christianity by the dozens, hundreds, thousands. There are folks that are claiming things that are truths that are untruths. There are people that are claiming they have a right view of the scriptures and it's actually a wrong view of the scriptures. They're twisting scriptures to adapt to their own experiences or or what they want to be true as opposed to what is actually there in the the scriptures. And it doesn't take a deep study to look around us and see how much spiritual deception is going around. And matter of fact, the, the common mantra of the church is becoming doctrine divide so let's lay aside our differences so that we can unite together over you know and accomplish things in the world the problem with that is that what people are wanting to uh, lay aside are actually orthodox christian principles that strip the gospel of power Now, obviously, we have brothers and sisters that are in different tribes than us uh, that we would agree on Orthodox Christianity, but I'm talking about there is a great movement to water down gospel and call what is evil good and what is good evil. And so what I love about our passage today is that it's gonna show us that this isn't a new thing. This has always happened. And, and so we live in a culture where tolerance, unity, uh, love are viewed as much more important than doctrinal truth. And we're going to see John, going to, he's going to push back on those ideas in, in our text. And I want to, I want to reiterate a couple things to you. One, this book was written by the Apostle John, who was known as the Apostle of Love. And the apostle love takes people that are coming into the church and teaching false doctrines and and teaching false principles. He calls them antichrists. He he refers to them as liars. You know, if he were to put that on Facebook, John would be saying, oh, 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 John, that's not loving. That, that, That is harsh. That's not very Christian of you, apostle John right but he he says no no you're coming with false teaching you're you're an antichrist you're a liar and, and so for john he, he's he's writing to the church to encourage the church, church to help them to realize uh, to, that they're standing on right ground they're standing on solid truth and to help us to realize that true biblical love is not divorced from biblical truth the, the the way, matter of fact, that we have the greatest love is by standing on what is true. If we hold high something untrue, that is the opposite of love. It is the standard of hate. For for if we cause someone to believe a false doctrine, which their eternity ends up being away from God forever in hell, how loving is that? That's not loving at all. It is The actually the standard of hate is the very core of hatred would be to have the truth and not explain the truth or tell the truth or let someone go on believing a lie as if it is a truth or even a half truth. And so I I love this book of the Bible that God has. uh, You know, it's very precious to me over my own walk with the Lord. I I love 1 John. And, uh, you know, the series Verified is just perfect. I mean, the the whole book of 1 John was written. If you you look in chapter 5, John does this in his writings. He always likes to close his books and tell you the reason why he's written the book. And so John in chapter 5 tells us, hey, I wrote this book so that you can know that you're in the faith. So the entirety of the book is so that you might have assurance of your salvation. That's why John is writing the book, so that you can know that you're in Christ. What a great, precious treasure is assurance of salvation. To know that you're in Christ, to know that you are in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of the Father... To, to know you don't have to walk around in this fear and, and, and say, oh, am I in, am I not in? Am I in, am I not in? But to know that you're in, what a precious treasure. And John is laying these things out of how you might know that you are saved. And so that's the, enti- that's the overview of the book as you've kind of been walking through it. and our text today in chapter two, the context is that some people were being led astray by false teachers. Some teachers were coming into the church saying, Hey, I know you've believed in this kind of Orthodox Christianity, but the reality is we've got a new and secret knowledge. And if you follow our way, that is what is right and true. And John's going to come alongside those that have stayed in the church because, because many were leaving. Many were leaving the faith and following that, Gnosticism, the kind of secret knowledge. Many were leaving the church, and John's going to come a, a, alongside of them and say, no, 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 those who are leaving, they're not of us. You are staying here. You are of us. And so, so he's explaining this situation to them. And, and really, I see three uh, points that John's trying to make. He's trying to explain to them what is happen, happening. He's going to try to comfort them um, in, in their own standing in the Lord, and then he's going to give them a warning to stand on what is true. And that's kind of the format that I'm going to take today. So let's, let's begin reading in verse 18. I'm going to read through 20. And it says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. And then, you know, underline this verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. No doubt that the church here is confused and probably fearful. They're seeing people leave the church. They're seeing people walk away from the faith. They're confused. They're losing friends over this. Maybe there's been elders, deacons, leaders in the church that have followed these false doctrines, maybe even teaching these false doctrines. And so there's a lot of confusion and just fear going on. And John is writing to to explain what is happening. And he's explaining the reason that they've stayed in the truth and that they haven't walked away from the truth is not because of anything in them, but it's because of Christ is holding them to the truth you you, you see uh he he begins to explain to them uh but you have been anointed by the holy one and you have all knowledge you know that they went out that it may be complained they were not of us what he's telling them is that they're going out because they're not saved you're in because Christ is in you Christ has sealed you with the promise of his Holy spirit you don't have it within you to walk away from this because you can't how could you And so he's saying the the very fact that the Holy Spirit is in you is holding you fast to what is going on. And so he's explaining to them the reason that they've been able to walk away from the faith is because they never had it. They never walked in it. And this is, you know, important for us because we have loved ones that have walked away from the faith, walked away from church. And, and it, it becomes very personal for us when we begin to think, okay, well, is my parents saved? Are my children saved? And you begin to say, I'm, I'm going to bank on a prayer that they prayed when they were seven, even though they've sown no fruit of being saved. They've lived like hell their whole life. I'm going to say they prayed this prayer when they were seven. They're, they're, they're good to go. But what John is saying is those who, have, who went out from us, they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it may become plain that they were never of us. So he's explaining to them the reason they've walked away is because they didn't have faith. So, you know, in our tribe, kind of Baptist world, it is, uh, there's a saying which is, once saved, always saved. Right, which is a great principle. Matter of fact, this is what John is trying to explain to us. is It's called a doctrine of perseverance of the saints, I mean, this is what John is trying to explain. This doctrine. It's a beautiful doctrine. And we're going to talk about that doctrine. But what the kind of the way that we've often taken it is that if you've prayed some kind of prayer at some point in your life, then you're you've got your fire insurance, your hell insurance. You're good to go. Like you 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 you, you know that that is your ticket into heaven. Your get out of hell free card, right? And so so we've kind of said once saved always say, save, but that that would be. False doctrine. That's not true, but the way I like to say it, I think it communicates better, is if saved, always saved. Because we, have in our culture, have had this easy believism that says, hey, you pray this prayer, you get dunked, you're good to go. But that's not what faith is. That's not what what salvation is. Salvation is a complete conversion of our entirety of life. It is a complete regeneration of our our heart, our minds, our souls. Every part of us is no longer like our old self. That has died and God is raising up anew. He he brings to life people that are saved. They, They came from death to life. How can you not be changed So someone who says, yeah, I have life, but you look like someone dead. You're not alive. And that's what John, I think, is trying to communicate. He's saying, hey, they went out from us. They were never of us. This is hard to swallow for sure. But John is encouraging the church to say, hey, hey, hey you're in not because of anything in you but because God has kept you here because that's what he does for his children he holds you fast to the truth he gives you hunger and desire and a burden for what is right and good and true he keeps you close to what is right and good and true so he's explaining these things to to the church and then i think it's important to know that the false teachers here uh as cults always do they start with a scripture and it sounds pretty good but it's just a little off and, and right when, when at the beginning of it you're like ah you know that might be true that might be oh you know i don't know but then as you kind of flesh those things out it gets further and further from the truth and that's what was happening here these false teachers you know they weren't wearing t-shirts and say hey i'm a false teacher you know, they weren't wearing, you know, they weren't wearing a red suit or having a pitchfork. They weren't, you know, John calls them antichrist. They were just, they were their buddies. They were their friends. They may have been elders. And they were teaching something that was contrary to what is true. And so John is warning the church. He's telling the church, you know, be careful. And he's explaining what is happening, that these are false teachers. And he's trying to calm the fears of the church and help them understand that true Christians are those that are, that are born of God. True Christians are those that, that are, have new, new life in them. Those that, uh, you know, are born again. And those that have walked away are not. They may say they are, but they went out from us because they were never of us. And that's, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of folks say, well, that's arrogant to say. I didn't say it. John said it. And so we as believers say, okay, I'm going to hold fast to what is true. I'm going to hold fast to, to what I know to be right. And I know that the Holy Spirit, the, I have the Holy One, the anointing in me that is going to hold me fast to what is right and good and true. So he's explaining to them what is happening. Another thing I love about what he's doing here is he's, he's essentially saying if you persevere with the church, you are saved. One of the evidences, there's three main evidences in the book of 1 John that you are, in fact, saved. One is that your relationship with sin changes. The the things you used to love, you no longer love. Secondly, your relationship with the commands of God changed. The things you used to hate, the boundaries of God, you now love. Thirdly, your relationship with the brothers and sisters of Christ changes. You used to mock the church, maybe. But now you love these crazy people. Uh, you love being around the people of God. And a matter of fact, the, the, John goes as far to say, if you say you're Christian and hate your brother, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And so what John is trying to, you know, help them understand that those who persevere with the church to the end are those that are saved. Now, yeah, the church has flaws, right? I mean, if you came here expecting a perfect church, you found the wrong one. I mean, there's no perfect church, and there's never going to be. But here's what is the beauty behind the church. It was never meant to be full of perfect people. And what happens when a group of imperfect people come together to worship a perfect God is we begin to help one another look more and more like our perfect God. And so what happens in in, in church world is this. And this only happens in the church. What other domain can people from all different ethnicities, all different socioeconomic statuses, all different uh, upbringings, uh, whatever, we are so different. Will we ever come together to hang out or to be together or to talk about the Bible together and sing together about the goodness and greatness of our God? That only happens because of our commonality of the cross of Jesus. And so we, we come together. And, and then here's what happens. And here's, here's what the beauty of the church is. The, the church is meant to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. So the people, that, because the people around you in church, maybe get on your nerves. Don't point. They, they frustrate you. You know, you, you, you struggle with patience and grace for people. Or you've got some EGRs in your life, right? Extra grace required. If you don't have anyone in your life like that, it's probably you. (laughs) There's people that are just sandpaper in your life. And what God does with that is it makes you more like Jesus. It makes you more like Jesus. For us to have life uh, together, to be bonded together in a body of Christ, it makes us more like him. And that's what we're all here. That's what we continue to do is we subject ourselves. to, Man, I, I love this place. That guy gets on my nerves, but I love that guy. I love him. And this is and that's what John is trying to say here. Those who persevere to the end uh, in the church are those that are in Christ. And, and those that do that, they see the beauty of the brokenness of the of the church. They say, Oh yeah, we're broken people, but we're all going to our Savior for continued restoration. And so we can have grace and patience with one another. You know, the world doesn't do that. They write people off. They have no grace and patience in the workplace. You know, if they, uh, if they are annoyed by someone, they will slander them. Hopefully that's not bringing a whole lot of conviction to you. But the church isn't supposed to do that. We love one another. Now, we're getting on each other's nerves. And we, in Matthew 18, we may have conflict with one another. But that's part of the beauty of making us more like Jesus. Because as we do the work of coming into Christ, he makes us more like himself. And then the third thing I think that John is doing here that I love is uh, he's more concerned here with purity of doctrine than he is about church growth or unity. Which is a rare thing in our culture. Um, you are seeing churches right and left water down what they say is the truth so that they can keep butts in the seats. John says that's not what's important. What's far more important is a purity of doctrine than unity. Far more important than coming together and being united is that you're standing on what is true because there is no true unity unless you're standing on the same things. There's not. And so I love that John is explaining that, and then he's gonna comfort the church. Let me read to you 21 through 35. He says to him, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And then look at verse 23, underline it maybe. It says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us eternal life. So John's writing to comfort the church. And specifically, you know, it's in the face of many of their friends leaving the church, many of the people they respected leaving the church for this kind of new heretical teaching. And he's telling them that the anointing that they have given to them, that the Holy Spirit abiding in them would teach them all things and to keep them from falling into error. Now, we we live in a day, I've already said this, that rejects absolute truth. Uh, By and large, our culture rejects absolute truth, and truth is becoming more and more and more relative. And, and uh, a matter of fact, uh, the, the coming generations, what they say about truth is what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. But it's not just the upcoming generations. It's also, It's not just Gen Zers or millennials. It's also boomers. I read a stat recently that a third of boomers claims to be Christians, and half of those claim that there are many ways to heaven. So truth is becoming more and more fluid, more and more relative, uh, more and more like nailing jello to the wall. It's it's difficult to define. And this is why we have a lot of conflict in our culture because if if my truth is based on what I feel to be true and your truth is based on what you feel to be true and those feelings aren't on the same page with one another, when you kind of upset my feelings, you're upsetting my truth and therefore you're wrong and everything that you do is wrong. And so we battle over these, uh, uh, you know, what is true when there is no truth. They they, they just continue to fall back on, truth is what I feel. But John here, he tells them, he says to them, you know the truth. That doesn't sound like truth is relative to me. It sounds like that there is an absolute truth. And the absolute truth that he's pointing to is the truth of the apostles' teachings that they have been taught. So, what he's saying to the church is, you know the truth. Namely, the truth is the word that you have heard from the beginning. What you've heard from the beginning is the truth. So, he's he's comforting them to say, no, 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 you are believing what is right and good and true. Stand fast on what is right and good and true. You have believed the good things. You've held fast to the good things. And I'm telling you, church, what John is saying to us today, when all the world around us is believing in some kind of airy, not fluid truth or really untruth, you know the truth because you've been taught it and we've had it from the beginning. That we have the apostles' teachings in the word of God. You have the truth. Therefore, you need not fear for you need not be shaken for you have what is absolute in your hands at your disposal. You have what is true and stand fast on it. So he's comforting the church. He's also telling them that sound doctrine matters. Sound doctrine matters. Again, this is um, important. He says, whoever denies the Son denies the father also whoever denies the son denies the father also this is a absolute truth again this is a reiteration of jesus's claim that i'm the way the truth and the light no man comes to the father except through him what is being said here what john is saying here is that any other teaching that says that there's a way to heaven outside of faith in christ and that christ is the one and only savior that saves sinners is a false doctrine and so sound doctrine matters and 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 there is this kind of syrupy, sweet idea that goes around and says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about what you believe, that is nonsense. It doesn't matter how sincere you are about what you believe, that doesn't make it any more true. You can be entirely sincere that poison is not poison, but if you drink it, you will die. So what you're sincere about doesn't matter if it's false. What you're you're sincere about is only important if if it is the truth. If it's not the truth, you're sincere about the wrong things. And so John is explaining to them why it's important, why you must understand the apostles' teaching, why. And this is important for us. This is why we study the gospel. It's why we preach and teach in small groups and and, and Bible studies. We, we, we center around the gospel because we have to continue to know and understand the truth that is the gospel. And it's important for us to, to know and, and to, to continue to to just feast on the truths of Christ, what the gospel is. And so that's what John is explaining to them. He's explaining uh, uh, to them, sound doctrine matters. And no matter uh, how many people are pressuring the the church to to water down the gospel, to change the gospel, that they had to stand fast on what is right and true. Now see, this is what, the, the world has a theology for the church. And they don't care Uh, if, if what we say is true or untrue. They don't care about that. Their theology for the church is this. Is it helpful or unhelpful? They don't care if what you say is true or untrue. They want to know if you're helpful or un- unhelpful. And if you're helpful, then they'll tolerate you for a period of time. They'll kind of just kind of push you to the side and say, okay, well, you say whatever you want to say. Just say it over there, not around us. As long as you're helpful, we will be, you know, you, you know we'll at least let you be helpful and, and support and, and, and supplement our taxes by you helping the community. But, but, but if you become unhelpful, Then we've got problems. So I don't care if what you're saying is true or or untrue. Now, this is important for us to understand because so many churches are doing their best to be helpful, but have neglected to be truthful. They work really hard at being helpful but at the sacrifice of being truthful. They may make friends with the world by being helpful, but become enemies of the gospel. I wanna explain to you that our greatest resource as the church is not to be helpful. It's not to be nice. Now, hear me. That doesn't give you a license to be a jerk. That's, just, that's not why Jesus died. He didn't die to make you nice. He didn't die so that you could be more friendly to the world. He didn't die so that you could be more helpful. The greatest resource for the church and the thing that Christ laid down his life for is that we would uphold what is true. And what is true is that Christ saves sinners. Our greatest resource to offer the world is not more clothes or more food or more help in the community or cleanup efforts. Our greatest resource to offer the world is that we have the living Son of God who saves us from sin and takes us to be with him forever. That is our greatest resource. And sure, we can be helpful. But that's not what we're after. For if we feed hungry bellies, make them more comfortable for hell, is there anything more hateful not helpful it's hateful and so john is encouraging the church that you stand on the truth so the churches that care more for social justice than heavenly justice have misplaced what is right and true i'll remind you that jesus said i did not come to bring peace but a sword What does he mean by that? He came to defeat sin and death with finality. How dishonoring to Christ would it be for us to coddle sinners and not give them the medicine they need. So John is comforting the church by what they hold fast to. And then he's warning them. Verse 26 to 27, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What's John doing here is he's trying to encourage them to continue on, continue being diligent and diligent in what they're doing, holding fast to two things, Uh, abiding the word and the spirit that abides in them to abide in Christ to abide in that spirit so he's saying the word and the spirit spirit and truth hold fast to those things and, and and so that when false teachers come it will not lead you into deception and the people that you are teaching and the people that you are discipling will also not be led astray into false deceptions so he's warning them to be on your guard. See, when we take great comfort in uh, what is the perseverance of the saints, which I'll, I'll, I'll close with uh, in greater detail, when we have a comfort in that, we can let our guard down. Well, I'm, I'm in Christ. You know, I don't, you know I, 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 uh, I've got grace. You know, I don't, I don't have to be diligent in, in the fight to read the scriptures. I don't have to be diligent in the fight to, 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 to be more like Christ. I mean, that's good enough. But John is saying, no, 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 no. You continue to abide in the word and abide in Christ, meaning coming together in it, being saturated by it, being soaked in it, so that when every wave of doctrine comes across you, your house will be built on the foundation that is the truths of Scripture, that Christ is the one and only way to heaven, and He he is the one Savior of sinners. sinners. And so when we build our house on that rock, the storms, they they won't shake us. The storms of false teaching, the storms of cancer, Storms of suffering, death of a child. Those storms will wash us away. Why? Because our faith is not in something that is relative. Our faith is in something that is absolute, and our joy is in something that is manufactured. Our joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. So the things that come at us, we hold on to two principles. One, that God is sovereign, and two, that God is good. And if God is sovereign, we know that every storm that comes our way does not come arbitrarily, but comes by His hand. And two, that he is good, that every storm that comes our way is not for our evil, but for our good and his glory. So John is saying, no, 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 you be grounded and abide in the word, abide in the spirit, continue to drill down deeper roots in the truth of the gospel so that when false teachers rise up, you won't be moved. When your friends walk away from the faith, you will not be moved. That you have a greater understanding that the only reason that you are staying, persevering to the end is not because of anything in you, but is because God has saved you and no one can take you from the hand of the Father. Now, the way I want to close It's really just by exalting Christ. I want you to understand what perseverance of the saints means for you. When Christ went to the cross, we, we sang the song, Hallelujah, thank you for the cross. When Christ went to the cross, what happened on that cross was this. Second Corinthians says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So when Christ is experiencing the excruciating death of crucifixion. And he's nailed to the cross. What is happening in that moment is The sins of all who would believe upon him were placed on him. He who knew no sin became sin. They were placed on him. And the wrath of God that those sins absolutely deserved my sin and your sin, that those sins absolutely mounting up of wrath of God was poured out on to Jesus. And when Jesus talked about drinking the cup, that's exactly what he did. He drank every drop of the wrath of God for us. We say, hallelujah, thank you for the cross. I was a prisoner, now I'm free. Those aren't just words. And here's what Christ did. Here's what Jesus did just before. He died, before he was buried in the tomb, and three days before he defeated death forever. You know what he said? He said this, it is is finished, what is finished? The purchase of your sin, the payment, the wrath of God extinguished on your behalf for those who would ever believe upon Christ. Your past, present, future sins laid upon the Son of God, punished by God the Father. Christ extinguished the wrath of God for those who believe upon him with finality. He said it is finished. That means if you are in Christ you are in Christ forever. Your security for eternal salvation is as secure as the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Father. You are in him and he will hold you fast. You cannot be taken from him. No enemy can steal you, no man can thwart you no one can rip you from the hand of the Son of God who's in the hand of the Father of God you have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit and you will be with him forever so where are you now guilt and shame where are you now the great condemner who says, continuously says, hey, 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 you're not good enough. How could God love you? It is finished. We wrestle with defeated sin. It doesn't have victory over us. It is not our master anymore. We are chained to Christ. Forever and your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. The God of the universe will hold us fast and you can never be moved. What a great treasure for believers. Now maybe you're in here and you don't know Christ. You've never been saved. You never bowed your knee to Christ. Even me talking about absolute truth, you begin to have questions about that and doubts about that. And you you just, you've never bowed your knee to Christ. You're not saved. And maybe you're in here and you think you are saved. Let me explain something to you that church membership is not enough to get you into heaven. Being good is not the standard for heaven. You could never be good enough. You can never be good enough. So maybe you walked in here with a false teaching in your head. What you thought was true was if I'm a decent person, if I'm good, if I don't don't kill anybody, if I pay my taxes, if I'm a decent citizen, that God will honor that and he'll let me in. I'll go to church and God will honor that. He will not honor that. That is a false doctrine. There is only one way to heaven and it ain't by you being good. Because you can never be good enough. The standard for heaven is perfection. And there's only one who is perfect. So we bow our knee and we pray, God, you save us. You be our perfection. You take our sin and you transfer and impute to us your own righteousness so that when we stand before God, he no longer sees me, but he sees the perfect son of God. So maybe you're in here and you haven't done that. Maybe you're in here and you just played Christianity. I would encourage you to come to Christ and be saved. Maybe you're a believer in here and you know folks that have walked away from the faith. I would encourage you. Yes, go after them. Pray for them. Preach the gospel to them. Explain to them the truths of Jesus, but also know that they went out from us because they were never of us. So don't assume they're saved because they prayed a prayer when they were seven. Go and explain to them the gospel. If you need to be saved in here or online... uh, there's a number that they're going to get on the screen. You just text Jesus there and start the conversation. This, was, this will begin a, a, a string of conversations that I, I hope will help bring some clarity. If you're in the house today, there's staff and people who would love to talk with you if you're in here. But if you're online or, or you're not really comfortable with that, then text Jesus to, to the number there. and we, The church wants to counsel with you through that. If you just need to connect with someone, talk about anything, connect with the church in some way, you can text CONNECT to that number as well okay guys i'm gonna pray for us if you if you need to make a decision for christ today if you need to walk and be if you're if god is saving you even now i would encourage you please don't put that on back burner this is the most important thing that for you to deal with today you deal with it let's pray Father, we love you. And we're so thankful to be in Christ. And as the scripture says, we, you know, we want to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We want to continue to test and see that we're in the faith. We, we, we want to continue to test 1 John and see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life. For we know that scripture says you judge a tree by its fruit. You can judge a tree by its fruit. If they're are no fruits salvation there's probably no salvation and may we not be duped into false teaching to think that's okay But may we repent may we come to faith in Christ we know the truth that Christ saves sinners I pray you would do that today I pray that in a room this size, there's no doubt there's people in here that don't know Christ. They, they have come in here, believe in their own relative truth and they've never been truly confronted with what is an absolute truth. And I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, that you would begin to unblind their minds as the scripture says the enemy is doing, that he's blinding the minds of unbelievers. I pray you would remove that veil today. I pray you would bring sight to the blind. I pray, God, you would bring life to the dead. I pray, God, you would bring salvation to the lost. Hallelujah for the cross. For in those nails, flesh torn, crown of thorns, pierced side, mocked, beaten, bruised, crucified. Is the beauty that has freed sinners like me. And it is truly finished. There's no debt I have to pay, there's no road I have to walk. Simply, you have died for me. You have taken the wrath of God for me. And the great Holy Spirit, the teacher of men and and, and women, the one who comes, who sets his anointing and his seal upon us, has regenerated our hearts, applying the work of Christ on the cross to us and given us life in you. I pray you would continue to spread that word. Move save change open eyes heal do all the things that only you can do we love you jesus we exalt your name and you alone in jesus name we pray